All right, y'all. Nerdificent is a new podcast from comedians Danny Fernandez and Ife Wadiwe. It's a weekly deep dive into nerdy subjects that you didn't know you needed to know about. Whether it's the mind-expanding frontiers of virtual reality or the surprisingly exciting modern renaissance of tabletop games, they're going to take you from the origins into surprising future of each subject. Which is a fancy way to say they go down a bottomless Google rabbit hole and tell you about the coolest stuff they find. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Doodle. What's good, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Fan Bro Show, the voice of the urban geek for all nerds. The only podcast and show where we talk about geek culture from the perspective of people of color, and it is your boy, DJ Ben Amin, aka Doctor Who's Man Says This, aka Lando Californication, the ghost in the shell toe, light work Yagami, Uncle Ben's nice, <laughs> the Infinity Stone. <laughs> Woo! Hollywood, I mean, amongst other things, the captain of the spaceship, the Viceland replacements here on Fanbro Show. Hey, hey, holla at us. We're right here. We're right here. You see us shining. That's all I'm saying. Butter from three. As always, I am joined by... Tatiana (laughs) King-Jones, a.k.a. The Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as The Shade Runner, also known as Toffee Baratheon, also known as T'Challa Bread, also known as... The Arc Android 18, also known as Emma Frosted Flakes and Flex Luthor. Woo, very nice, very nice. Good to see you again, Tatiana. Good to see you too. And, you know, we are joined by... Jeff J, a.k.a. the Ocarina of Timelines, Earth, Wind, and Firestorm. The new days of future past. Bodega Boys in the Hood. <laughs> Han Soul Glow. Uatu Chains. Bagger Vance Astro. Legion and Juice. And Fax the Destroyer. Oh, a Y2 chains, though. I like that one. It's a cut. I like that <laughs> yeah, one a, a lot. Cut right there. <laughs> I like that one. You, fr- you still got that, that Busta Rhymes circa 97 loudness going. No, I like man. it. I, I, had to, I, had to get, I had to get in, in, in gear. You know what I'm saying? I had to tell him what it's going to be. OD volumes, man. I love it. <laughs> All, all the way, blasting in your ear. <laughs> Welcome to Fan Bro oh. Show. Make sure you are subscribed if you're watching us on TV. Yep. I mean, not on TV. No, we're so juvenile. Well, actually, you could be watching us on a TV screen right now. Who knows? You, you know, we do all kind of things. But like I said, make sure you subscribe to YouTube. Hit that subscribe button right there. If you're on SoundCloud, iTunes, any of the above, subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend because this is Fan Bro Show, the voice of the urban geek non-problematic geeks can i say that too i mean because i I mean we're problematic in these streets but like yeah i mean definitely that you know light work you got me you know (laughs) 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 now don't put don't be putting that out on people bro like you know what i'm saying these got reputations and shit yeah Woo, word up because you know like when we first started this show i used to be like yo i want to be the black the brown chris hardwick and that didn't age so well, folks. That um, not in, not well. like this. When you not wish like on a star and that star comes crashing down, yeah, it no. didn't age well. It aged like S H I T. 
ChrissyTegan.gif. Yes, folks. But the news came out this week that Chris Hardwick, the founder of Nerdist, uh, host of Talking, bunch of other things, basically like the Ryan <laughs> Seacrest of Ryan Geeks. Seacrest, yes. Yeah, yeah, the Geeks Ryan Seacrest. Um, allegedly, still at this point, abused his ex girlfriend. There's, you know, a very long post by her about it. She didn't name him, Mm-mm. but it quickly came out, you know, through the details in the post who it was. And the reaction was swift and vicious. Vicious as hell. Mind you, there's always there also was a co-signing about his behavior from another I, I wasn't quite sure who they were, but another person on Twitter was like, Oh, I get to talk about my like racist, you know, xenophobic or homophobic oh, ex boss, something like that. I was like, Whoa. Like all the phobics were there. I said, "Whoa!" Yeah, he hit. It the, was really he hit bad. The ism uh, full house. <laughs> yeah. So, like you said, it was it was very swift. Like it wasn't even a full twenty four hours before AMC was just like, "Yeah, we're going to pause your shows." So they pulled those from broadcast. They didn't say cancel. They just said we're pulling those from broadcast. Meaning, even like the next season of Talking, which starts in like. September? No, it was supposed to start Sunday. Oh, okay. it was supposed that was to a Donald start Glover on episode? Sunday because they said the first episode was supposed to be Donald Glover. Yep. Oh, it was. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So well. Yeah. Oh, so Talking Dead comes back in September, but his yeah. his his talking show in general. Okay, you're right. So long story short, yes, they said we're gonna halt that for a minute. Um, Nerdist, which he founded, he doesn't own it anymore. He actually sold it to Legendary Pictures. Legendary owns it. They scrubbed his name from the founders area on their site. He, as far as they're concerned, he is. They said until we get the finalization of this matter, he's no longer here. Eighty six him. So he he was a paid volunteer. Oh, you got Listen. to it before I did <laughs> because you know if we gonna talk about volunteering, if we gonna talk about paying. And getting scrubbed from websites. I mean, we going to talk it about getting scrubbed from websites. It has been about 125 days, and not near a five rack has been seen <laughs> on these Kickstarters. Can we, like, try? Are we never not going to make a reference to this? I mean, I'm not, but are y'all never not going to make a reference Bro, to this? Bro, I'd be chilling. Not for a while. I wasn't even <laughs> thinking about that today. But when you put it in my mind... <laughs> I have like a, a, a I have a reminder set in my brain that every time it's like a trigger word. You know, like the hypnosis when when somebody says like it's a pretty day outside, is people start clucking like a chicken. That's me. Yeah. Anytime I hear volunteer, I, I just spaz out like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Shouts to the new listeners who don't know what the hell we're talking about. Thank God for you. Actually, you probably do because this is pretty <laughs> big news out there, and I'm sure people no, can figure no, it out no, by no, concept no. clues. All right, so that's But so, back so, to yes. concept clues. Yes, yes, back to yes. that. AMC said, nah, son. Nerdist said, hell nah, son. Um, what else? Oh, according to Chris, he decided that he's going to pull himself from San Diego Comic Con and uh, a couple of other panels that he was supposed to host let me just say something his um apology uh explanation whatever was trash like it, it was one of those really self-serving things where someone admits to one thing well admits to a bunch of things like denies one thing he's like yo i never sexually abused her or never sexually assaulted her but she listed a bunch of other things that you did my brother that was wild trash and then we can really get into it let's be honest chris hardwick is cool you know he was slightly entertaining on that the we show. know of 
yeah, but let's di- let's be real. There's a lot of things that he did on even on his show, like make really bad jokes that were racially toned or racist, if we want to be straight up about it. You know, so it's like, whatever, B. And, you know, a lot of people out there are like, oh, man, a man loses everything. Don't abuse women. Don't be trifling. I mean, that's the gist of it. And I got to say, again, when this stuff keeps coming up, like when I had conversations with people about it, they're like, so you're telling me every man in Hollywood is trash and be doing this? And I'm just like, I mean, it's not to say that automatically, but it's just like, you got to prove to me otherwise. I mean, the thing is, this is behavior that has gone on since pretty much the dawn of man and patriarchy. So, I mean, what people get away with this all the time because the social environment wasn't in a place where it was acceptable to even say that you've been abused in one way or another. And even now, it's still not quite open. Mm-hmm. And I got to say again, why would people, in this case, uh, Chloe, I'm sorry, Distra, what's her first name? Chloe. Is it Chloe? So Chloe Distra. Yeah. Why? Why would she put that out there to... I mean, people try to say, oh, it was revenge and all that stuff. But then why would you put yourself in a worse position just to get revenge? Like, victims of assault, abuse, whatever, know that the moment that they say XYZ did this to me, that there's going to be tons more backlash. You're going to get more negativity than you ever got in your life. So for people to say, well, you just did this to get backs and this and this, I'm just like, so what about her life, though? Because she is in many ways, effectively destroying her own life. And according to her story, what she has left because she was blacklisted from the industry according, according to her statement. So I, I, again, I just, I don't see why people would just do it for no reason because essentially that's what you're, if if you're saying you're just doing it to get back to somebody, you're doing it for no reason. You don't win. Yeah. And another thing, when I look at these situations, I saw when I was reading the commentary on him, a lot of people were saying that they didn't really ever buy his nice guy persona because they felt he he felt a little too nice. And there's always a red flag there when somebody comes off as squeaky clean. I think it's it's high time that people start to reconcile that a majority of the celebrities and the artists that you love may be trash. It may be trash in certain ways. Nobody's morally superior to the other, but at some point, especially in this era of communication and social media, it's going to come out. Something is going to come out. So either you get ahead of it as a public figure, you hope it doesn't come out, or when it does, you, you're ready to accept whatever backlash, whatever loss of, of support that you get, whatever consequences to your job that you may have. But it's difficult when you look where... where I literally feel at times, damn, what can I enjoy other than fan bros? Then next week, Tatiana becomes Ocean's Nine and whatnot. And then it's like, yo, I didn't even know. Like, she never took anything from me. But, um, you know, if you got those, <laughs> if you got the extra diamonds, Tatiana, if you can hear this, just mail that to me. You got the address. But, um, but yeah, man, like, it's, it's, it's hard to reconcile with in general. But in these situations, you know... It, it, it's difficult because someone writes a, a heartfelt article and immediately, you know, it was it was animated and everybody did their Googles or whatever that it was Chris Hardwick. So in this era, 
we you have to kind of believe first because there was no beliefs. It was it's been skewed so much that we just as men have to eat that that it is going to be skewed the other side because you know what at the end of the day if you did nothing wrong the truth is going to come to light. If so, if that gray area of what the truth is has some wrong and some right, it's all going to come out. You have to be either securing yourself to know that you're that you were in the right or figure out how you're going to make it right. And also, people always talk about how AMC, you know, jumped to conclusions or whatever. Trust me, AMC is a huge corporation. There is no way they did this just off the, you know, fly. They sat there and probably had a list of complaints already about Mr. Hardwick or a list of things that had happened or a moral clause in their contract where it's immediately, if you do anything of this sort, you're out of here. But even so there's no way. Yeah, and even to that, what they did was mild because you said even if they had a moral clause and all this stuff, they didn't cancel him. They didn't fire mm-hmm. him. They said, we're going to hold, we're going to halt stuff for now until we figure out what's going on. So if anything, they did the most risk-averse thing they could do without outright firing him. Yeah, he got. he's getting mm-hmm. his due process. He right. is yep. getting his due process. So. so we'll see what happens, you know. Shout out, I mean, no, not really. Shout out to AMC, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I guess not really, because really I don't f with yeah. the Walking Dead like that either. So, honestly, I never. I used to watch Talking Dead a lot. You know, that was my first exposure to Chris. But after a while, it was kind of like, uh, all right. It's very hit know? or miss, anyway. Depending on who's yeah. on, who yeah. I was only watching it for. De- depending again, depending on which actor from the Walking Dead was on there. I mean, I feel you. Yeah, you may want to. You may want to come back because apparently Shane is coming back to the Walking Dead. Mm. Yeah. Shane, but yeah, how? Who knows? You know this crazy world. Are they doing a Glenn on him? I, like I how? think it, no. There's no way that that dude did. No, no, I mean, no. literally no way. That's what I'm saying. How? Flashbacks, maybe hallucinations, something. But he's coming back because I guess John Bernthal um, isn't content with making as many checks as he is, or he's coming back. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, like for like real, they, you got time for well, Also, because Andrew Lincoln is bouncing, so, right. I mean, you got room now. Like, Well, there's probably, like, a, a whole culmination. It's prob- the Season 9 is probably going to be a fair, a swan song for the old, old, uh, what do you call it, old regime on The Walking mm. Dead or the old guard, because mm. after Rick is gone, that's it from the pilot. No one from the also, pilot Also, uh, no, uh, Maggie. She's about Maggie to be out, Maggie might be leaving too. as well. Yeah, she's leaving as well. She's about to so. be out. Yeah, like she she got yeah. a, she got a new job. She got the a, widow about to be out. Then there's really no need. Yo, dude, I'm I'm saying like I'm just I want to see what a post Maggie and Rick world looks like that will compel people to watch. That's I don't know. I mean I I I read the book, so I I kind of jumped off that train. But you know, Godspeed to y'all that's sticking with it. Michonne, you know, a Michonne led show. Oh, uh, all right, maybe. Maybe. I fucks with it. I fucks with it. You know, it. turn over the right and bait, folks. That. Let's see what we got going. If they hadn't killed Sasha, I mean, well, Sasha's moved on to better things, She literally too, so. beamed out of there. <laughs> she <laughs> beamed herself out of uh, Atlanta or Georgia or wherever the hell they were, VA. Wow. She not, Smart she, move, Sasha. She not Sasha. only beamed out of there, she beamed to an entirely different, like, 3,000 a year, 23,000. You know what I'm saying? Like, she is Gotta out. do it. Gotta out. Do it. She right. said, yeah, none the of this shit. for Sasha. She was out of there. Uh, speaking of out of there, though, Incredibles 2, I mean, out of there. I know y'all have seen our review on Twitter, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Shout out to our young correspondent, Riley, who rated it awesome, <laughs> amongst other things. She did that. And She's so cute. I mean, adorable. Shout out to young Riley. We're definitely going to have her back for some movies in the future. 
but Incredibles 2 broke $180 million, the biggest animated opening ever. Ever. So Incredibles 3 is on the it, way. It like beat, four, five, six. It beat Finding Dory, which at the time made $135 million, which is interesting because Finding Dory was not good. I saw it and fell asleep. I was that. really excited because I was, I'm was i a big Finding Nemo fan. I saw it and I was just like... This is so wait, yeah, so time out. even came so out. So time out. We not gonna act like there was a horror movie. There wasn't a horror movie at the beginning of The Incredibles. There wasn't a horror. Okay, Bow. <laughs> Incredibles two. Bow was not a horror movie, but right. certain people in this outfit, Jeff J. Yeah, at me. You better some at me. Serious reactions Yo. to a certain scene in the short film Bow. Bruh. So I'm not gonna give it away, but for those who've seen it already, you know exactly what I'm talking Bruh. about. I was dying when it happened. I'm sitting next to Jeff. Okay, he's to my left. <laughs> I'm watching when it happened. I said, "Oh, I'm like, all right." I look at Jeff. Jeff's like this. <laughs> I I promise you, Jeff is slack jawed, eyes big as saucers. And, he, and, and not like he didn't just react. He was sitting there for a cool one minute, th- you know, a minute, 15 you, seconds. Just what the hell? Man? I didn't sign up for that, bro. Like I had to tap him. I'm like, are you all right? And he was, was just like, like no. then he looked at me like this. He said, bro, what is happening right Yo. now? And looked over. I said, Jeff. Yo, I think the kids was calling me a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, fam, I was metaf- good. It was metaphorical. Okay. Point being is. It's not a horror movie, but it, it did get. It, I won't lie. The half the audience in the theater they was very clutching their pearls. I was like, so. What the? Oh, oh. You'll see it soon, Ben. So you'll know exactly what's happening. I was dying because I thought the I thought the reaction was hilarious. If I was recorded, that might be, have been the greatest uh, GIF ever. Probably, wow. probably, probably. And you can see and you can see the screen flashes on his face, which would have made it even funnier. Just wow, it was it was beautiful. But again, Incredibles two, movie, dope film. I thought it was a little long. But overall, it was very good. It gave me what I wanted. Um, <laughs> only bad thing I would say is for all of that and all of that madness that happened over like, I don't know, two months ago when they were talking about Frozone's wife, y'all could have put her in. Oh, y- oh y'all could have put her in. I already movie. know. Y'all could have put her in the movie. Like, don't front. Y'all could have put oh. her in the movie. Y'all had the character model. Y'all could have put her in the movie. But she's funnier as a voice. Okay. Mm, yeah. Okay. Interesting. You know. Anyway. Go see Incredibles yeah. 2. And also, real, real quick, two. if you, if you, uh, it's been out there a while. Actually, Tatiana pointed it out to me. If you have any yeah. epilepsy related uh, afflictions, I guess you would call it, or is your susceptibility to strobe If you're lights, susceptible to right, ep- epilepsy, yeah. it's a warning on there. there. There are a couple of scenes where there are those flashing lights and, 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 and it's kind of harsh to the point, and I don't, I don't suffer from epilepsy or have sensitivity to it, but at the same time, like I had to turn away from the screen a few times because it was, it was doing too much, and I was yeah. a little surprised that there was no warning beforehand. So maybe going forward, Disney will put up a warning. I don't know, but I'm very shocked that they didn't say anything. Right. Mm. Yep, and also people who suffer migraines should watch out because it can be triggering that as well. Lots of colors. It's very bright. <laughs> and again, I, mean, obviously I think not. it's right. It's very colorful. That's the incredible. But it's also longer than I expected. So I think just the length also made a thing. So if you're if you have photosensitivity of any sort, mm-hmm. do be careful. If you're very again, if you're prone to epilepsy, you you might want to skip it or at least close your eyes completely during those times. And I know people are like, well, then I won't watch the movie. It's just what it is. I, th- it's just there, and I don't know what else to tell you. And Loki, you're not really missing anything if you miss those. Uh, 
no, epileptic no. triggering scenes. You're really not missing anything. You'll get the point. Yeah. All right. And speaking of animation, we are in the need. We are looking for someone who can animate, who can do that dope animation for some shorts that we have in mind. It's a very specific thing that we'll inform you more about when you hit us up. Contact at fanbros.com. And while we're on that note, let me say this, because... You know, with everything that went on this week, a lot of people are talking about how nerddom is toxic and the environment created from, you know, the 1980s for the jocks for running things and nerds felt all beat upon and now they've got power and so now they're abusing it. I just want to say, you know, as always and forever, Fanbro Show is an inclusive environment for all nerds. We say it every week so you understand this is for everyone. Yep. So if you have any suggestions, anything, anything you want to help with, any ideas for the team as well. Like we said, right now we're specifically looking for someone in animation, but we are always looking for people to join the Army, better yet the Navy. <laughs> Hit us up, contact at fanbros.com. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more of the show. Oh, but hold up, hold up. Before we get out of here, I've got to announce something, because right now, this week, Luke Cage is dropping Friday night on Netflix Season 2. And of course, the Fan Bro Show for all nerds had to get the interview with Cheo Hodari Coker, Woo. conducted by our very own Leo Fairman. Now, Leo. One half of Dos Leos. <laughs> you know how we do. It is going down. So right after this break, stay tuned for the interview, and we'll be right back with more show. Hey, what's going on, fan bros? This is Tatiana King-Jones, and I want to tell you about a new podcast called Nerdificent from comedians Danny Fernandez and Ify Wadiwe. It's a weekly deep dive into nerdy subjects that you didn't know you needed to know about. Whether it's the mind-expanding frontiers of VR or the surprisingly exciting modern renaissance of tabletop games, they'll take you from the origins into the surprising future of each subject, which is really a fancy way of saying they're going to go down a bottomless Google rabbit hole and tell you all about the coolest stuff they find. Nerdificent is a weekly comedic and informational podcast dropping every Tuesday. It's produced by How Stuff Works Network's comedy division, creators of the Daily Zeitgeist and Culture Kinks. They're going to examine nerdy things that are currently trending, such as VR, Comic-Con, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, tabletop games, and more. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, what's going on, Cheo? How this, you doing? This is like this is crazy because it's like we literally just saw each other a couple weeks ago at with Comic Con. Yeah, where you were hanging out, you were just like making your way through the crowd. There was a certain energy around you. Um, there was also something about you that's extremely approachable. I feel like people at with Comic Con were just walking up to you and being like, "Oh my God, Cheo, so like, something like, is no big." But it, it isn't a big deal. I no, mean, it's, it's not. It's not like I'm my cult or something. <laughs> Yo, see, you know. Uh, this is another thing. Like, am I wrong about this? You've been getting into shape a little bit. No, I mean, I've, I've been... Well, well, here's the thing. Like, my, my, my joke um, <laughs> with Mike and myself is, you know, I'm before, he's after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're Mike Colton's before picture? Yeah. Oh, man. Because, of, because the thing is, it's like, in terms of size, in terms of, like... You know, like the goatee, like we we kind of favor each right, other. Right, right, right. But that, that, but that that's why it's just funny to me because I'm like, you know, because if you if you get photographed next next to him, 
all day. You just look fat. You look terrible. And it's like I'm seeing the photos coming back. It's just like you know, it's, it's always fun. It's always interesting. You know, um, I remember I, I was at the Black Panther premiere, mm-hmm. and that I was, was an incredible premiere experience. Yeah, yeah. incredible purple carpet, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. I was there right before, like around the time Michael Michael B. Jordan, uh-huh. and so you you walked the, the press line right and. Mike B. Jordan hits, hits the red carpet. Mike, Mike, shh. Uh-huh. And then as soon as I walk out, <laughs> <laughs> you got a snap. You got one I'll, snap. <laughs> I'll, I started laughing uncontrollably <laughs> because of the fact that, like, some people get bothered by that kind of thing. Like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you didn't recognize. I, I think it's hilarious. I'm like, I, like I, I was literally almost <laughs> laughing to the point of crying because it was just, it was just so funny to me. It was just like, it's like, don't get it twisted. You know what I'm saying? And so, the, so when you talk about approachability, it's just like I'm, I'm me. Period. And the thing is, is that like um, everybody wants to be a showrunner, but nobody wants to run a show, <laughs> you know, because on, on the surface, it looks great. On the surface, it's like, oh, man, you know, you, you know, you're getting photographed all over the place and, you know, these people and, and you're traveling all over the place. And, oh, it's great. But then it's just like when you have, OK, the, the kind of day that I, that I just had where like literally. I mean, yesterday was a was a fifteen hour day. The day before, like, was 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 another fifteen hour day. Um, average- Would you mind getting into detail about that? Because that's interesting. Like, what what is what does a showrunner's days days look a showrunner's day look like? Well, the thing about being a showrunner, this is the thing I always say: you don't run a show; the show runs you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so what happens is that as you're planning the show as you're starting to you know work in the writer's room and, and then in addition you're doing publicity and you're also you know writing screenplays and for myself um, I live in Seattle um, our show runs out of Los Angeles we film in New York so I pretty much if if the chair is comfortable enough to me it's it's like I, I, I can literally I've if I sit in a comfortable chair and I'm tired I could actually wake up four or five hours later and <laughs> <laughs> and I and I will have fully slept because it's it's really the equivalent of being on a flight, and so it just gets to the point where it's like you just you constantly are just on the move and you and 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 it just becomes like this this rat race and then at the same mm-hmm. time you just have to learn how to compartmentalize your writing and just like it's not even about being creative anymore like literally like I'm not joking I, I got this lap desk uh-huh. and, and while we're in traffic going you know from from place to place interview to interview like I'm writing scenes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, and so that part of it is, you know, I think if people saw the work involved, then it's the work and the pressure because, you know, at first you're like, hey, the president of the network has my phone number. It's great. <laughs> and then you realize the president of the network has your phone number. Uh. And, and then when you start getting those 4.50 a.m. emails like, where's this and where's that, you know, all of a sudden you realize just the, the upper level of, of, of stress. And so it's just like you can't ever lose sight of the fact that the work is the work. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you just have to just stay focused and eventually it all balances out. But that that's really kind of been the aspect that I've been learning, because um, I just remember how back in the day when I when I was a journalist, I'm still a journalist. I'm, I'm just a journalist that happens to have this other job. That's really cool. <laughs> You're um, freelancing as a showrunner. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, because I because it's just still a part of me, like just just in terms of asking questions and. I like, think this relates to your approachability, by yeah. the way. <laughs> but but because I've been on both sides, because mm-hmm. I've I've asked the questions, like I've I've been around artists and they're on tour and or or been 
you know, on tour buses or in the studio and all these things. And what gets fascinating is just like on on that side, when I just remember asking these questions and now being on the other side, I'm just like, <laughs> they were just completely exhausted. And, <laughs> and the thing is, is, is you think being on tour is glamorous, but after a while, like, you know, every bed is a holiday inn. <laughs> right. Every, even flying first class and business class, I know this sounds like completely pretentious, but after a while, you, it's a greyhound. It's, right. it's it's not that different, you know right. what I'm saying? So because it's it's not how comfortable you are when traveling, it's just, it's the grind of it. It just gets to the point when it's just not fun. Mm-hmm. But it's the necessary part of, of you know, um, launching a premise globally you know is that you you, you gotta you gotta travel and and it's it's actually trying to just kind of balance these things is is really kind of the hard part but it's also the fun part i mean like when you start talking about life hacking when you start talking about like how to try to figure out how to squeeze this time in mm-hmm. how to be better about being more accountable in terms of following up that's really been the the most of what i've been trying to do you know, um, the second time around is being a, just a, being a little bit better every day about being faster about getting back. Or at the same time, like when, when you know, you, to your initial question about getting in shape, um, I just started not drinking calories. <laughs> oh, I, I, I stick to that. You yeah. know that, yeah. and and you that's know, big. running um, two miles a day. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, on 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 the treadmill. Um, you know, and some some days are, are like I, I. The thing is, is that. On, on my Facebook is that I, I like I track my progress and it's it's embarrassing a lot of days. You do it publicly? Yeah. Oh, all right. But, but That's because, ballsy. Because it keeps you accountable. No, it does. And, and, it does. But, but the thing and is, embarrassing. It, well, <laughs> embarrassing. It's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> and, but then like a lot of people that have 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 emailed me or, or you know or DM me and being like like yo it's so inspiring because That's awesome. It's like I know you don't feel like doing it but when you do it it makes me say you know what. I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it. And so it's right. just like... It's like a domino effect and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like Coulter and and Michael B. Jordan, I think they're partially responsible for a lot of gym memberships lately, I want to say. I want to say between the two of them specifically. Yeah. I just, I mean, on podcasts, I listen to where people I talk to are like, yeah, I kind of, you know, everybody well, wants those Killmonger apps. Uh, That's the dream right well, now. Well, well, no, the, 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 the worst is, is, is like, you know, watching power with your significant other. And, and every time Amar Hardwick takes off his shirt and, and, you, and you feel, you know, you won't go, damn. And then, and then you're like, oh, come on. You hear the like, breath, the breath exhalation and you're like, here we go. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's honestly, but here's the thing. It's like. You have to stay in shape because mentally, you, you know. Oh, it's you, totally you, related. You, it's you, totally related. You got to do that. And also, yep. I mean, the thing that I need to do is not the working out. And the thing that I've noticed as I'm tracking my weight and as I've, I've lost about, you know, 13 pounds so far. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to overall before. My goal is, to, I'm 45. My goal is to lose 46 pounds by my 46th birthday. Nice. Okay. So I got about 37 pounds to go. But the thing and, the, and really, this is kind of the the bigger secret is sleep. You you can run, you can exercise, you can lift, all of which I'm doing, but mm. I'm not getting enough sleep. Yeah. And the key, if you really want to see the results, you have to do all that shit you don't want to do. You have to eat right. You have to not eat after certain hours. You got to watch what you eat. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that when you're drinking, like you're drinking water, and like when you're thirsty, drink water. Don't right. You know, because even my 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 biggest vice is soda. Right. So it's That's like dangerous. So average Coca-Cola is like 140 calories. So that's the equivalent of a of a can of of um, 
Campbell's soup, of Campbell chicken soup. <laughs> so you have to visually, or, or cupcakes. So you, you have to visually, you know, like visualize, okay, every time I dr- I'm drinking this, do I really feel like drinking a cupcake? Do I really feel like right. like drinking a can of soup? And then when you do it like that, then you realize, wait a minute, okay, I'm just, it's just a habit. Because when you were 12 or 14 years old, you could drink soda all day long and your metabolism would just eat it up. Mm-hmm. But by the time you f- you're, you're in your, your, middle, your middle age, in your mid-40s, it's like... <laughs> Forget about right. it. So then, it's, it's part of part of it is untrain is untraining that. But the, but the thing is, no matter how much you work out, no matter how much you do stuff, even eating right, if you don't sleep, you don't see the results. Right. And so, really, it's almost the most important thing. I mean, best thing for a showrunner who's not getting any sleep, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> working out. But that's really, I, and I'm people are like, they're, they're like, fuck all this. We don't want to hear about Luke, about Luke Cage. But, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, no, no, no. Wait, no. We're inspiring. We are expanding from your Facebook page, and we're inspiring Tanny Fanbro's <laughs> listeners right now. You know what? Like. Stop drinking all that soda. That is, I think that's something everybody can listen to. I yeah. think we all drink too much soda. Well, I mean, because the thing is, it's like as a kid, I remember like they would scare you to death about, you know, drugs, which they, were they should. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. they would also you would see you every time you turn your head, you you know, you, you saw something with Smokey the Bear and forest fires, or you saw something about smoking, or you know, or why you shouldn't do that. But then every other ad was an athlete drinking soda. That's right. And so you got to the to the point where it's like, oh well, I'm I'm doing great because I don't drink, I don't smoke, but I drink, you know. But I'm I, yeah, I'm pounding uh, a Gatorade, you, you know. know? <laughs> and then you don't realize what it does to you till right. till much later. And so um, it's actually been good because I, I've got three kids. I've got twelve um, year old twin boys, and my, my daughter's six years old. And so they already know, like they, you know, it's funny. Like on one hand, they, they say, "Dad, give me a soda," but then anytime they see me with a soda, they're like, they, you know, they're like, <laughs> they should be taking it. Yeah, <laughs> they should be taking the, it. Their, whole, their whole thing is like, don't drink soda, but then they're like, "Dad, can I have a coke?" I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's just kind of just how it is. But um, before we start getting into the deepness of the show, um, oftentimes people will ask me, "Okay, like I'm an aspiring writer, or you know, I want to like I want to do." the kinds of things that you're doing. I want to create a television show. I, I want to write a movie. Like, um, And the advice that I give people, because it's true, is that it's not about sitting down and, um, okay, blocking out five hours or blocking out two hours. The thing you have to teach yourself how to do is write for 10 minutes every day, hmm. which it doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound like a lot. But what it is is that you're actually training your mind to be creatively consistent. And if you can find the 10 minutes a day, that 10 minutes will become 20. That 20 will become 40. Right. And then it's it's no different than building your body because the thing is, it's like when you look at The Rock, you look at everybody else, you're like, how did they get to this point? It's because they can they work out consistently. It isn't like like you can't do 3,000 push-ups in one day and then, then go to sleep and expect, <laughs> okay, now, now I look like you have right. to do – if you just do do the same consistent small thing every single day um, – the cumulative effect will will get you to to that place, right. and so a lot of what it is is like you're not going to find two hours. You know, if particularly if you're not writing professionally to the point when you can actually make it your full time job, you're never going to get that kind of time. But what you can do is is you can find ten fifteen minutes a day, and just do that. And the more that you do it, the easier it'll it'll you know it'll get to work up to the point when you then you're blocking out an hour a day. And then mm-hmm. if, you're able, if you're able to do that, say, for example, like if it's a screenplay, I mean, you have to like 
you have to break it break it down the same way that, for example, like I, me being a former music critic, like a record review is like what two hundred fifty words, right? So a script page is two hundred and five to two hundred twenty five words. Mm-hmm. So if you can just do one page a day and then get up to about four pages a day, you know, over the course of like a month and a half, you'll you'll, you'll have a full length screenplay. So it's just really just about the, the consistency. And then after a while, after you become consistent, you know, the confidence will go there. And, mm-hmm. it's just, and it just doesn't end. I mean, it doesn't get any easier. You know, that, that's the thing is, like, I always thought that once things, you know, got to the point where things were getting made and there was success, that, that things would get easier. It actually gets harder <laughs> because you don't feel – the only thing that you're confident in is, is that it will get done. Mm-hmm. You know, but but the fear that you have, the fear that that it's that y- you suck and that you know you're wasting everybody's That's time. That's greater. <laughs> it, it, it it doesn't go away. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, I always thought, you know, nah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, boy, I got this. No, no, nah, it's it's it gets harder. It, it gets harder every time, and so you. But you have to just push through it. And you know, the thing is, is that for every criticism that that I've ever received. I also know that I got it done and made it, got something made to the point where people could criticize it, and that in itself you go. is a victory. There you go. So right. let, let's get in the cotton mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, and like I totally agree about uh, like creating a habit will help you beat the shit out of the blank page. The blank page is scary, like when you start off. Every single well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like um, what, even though the movie itself is questionable, the first X Men movie, that uh-huh. moment when. Rogue asks Wolverine, like, you know, about his claws. And she says, you know, does it hurt when you do that? And he says, every single time. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that that's what the blank page is like. Every single mm, time, it's, mm. it's, it's the blank page. But you, you still got to... Snick, gotta, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you still got to pop your claws. Oh, man. All right, so, yes, like, now that we're talking about self-improvement, <laughs> let's talk about season two of Luke Cage. Yes. Um, so this is coming out, um, season releases June 22nd, mm-hmm. all in one shot. Which is still strange to me as like a child of the '90s, like growing up watching shows every week. Still a little weird to me. Well, you know what it is? It's it's like, okay, basically people's comic book collecting habits changed once you know the collected paperback came out. Mm, yeah. It's, because then it got to be like, okay, if you're still the hardcore collector, mm. you're gonna go every Wednesday, you know, you know, once a month, or or, or, or you know, you're gonna basically get the book that you're reading. Every month you're gonna get the installment, and then you usually get it again. <laughs> yeah, or after a while you just stop collecting, and then you wait for the compilation to come out, right. and then you have it all in one. So in many one people thing. do that right now. And so that, that's really what it is. It's like yeah. it's it's the, the trade paperback ification yes. of television. It's, it's 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 really that because people just they they don't really have the time, space, or energy today to compartmentalize. Mm. So mm. they want everything at once. Right. Um. Like my kids don't, you know remember when a show came you know, like like basically that they would have to wait for a whole week uh-huh. and for the time <laughs> their show came on like uh-huh. for me it was like you know like i remember this like yesterday like nine o'clock on a friday night um was when night rider was on nbc if uh-huh. you flip the channel to cbs uh nine o'clock was dallas because 10 o'clock was not landing um you know and uh like I'm just trying to think in my head. Like for me, ten, 10 o'clock on Friday nights was always about Miami Vice. Like I, I, I was too young to go anywhere. I, I was too young to go out to really uh-huh. go anywhere. I, I couldn't go to the club. I mean, I was a kid. Uh-huh. So ten o'clock on a Friday night when Miami Vice came on, I was that was everything. 
No, isn't that like I'll old man grown with you for a second because I remember a specific period of time where I was a young person watching television. It was like, don't bother me at this time. Yeah. Like I can't go do I'm not gonna talk to you on the phone. I'm not gonna do anything. Like I am watching this thing. That's what has to happen right now. And that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't well, exist. Well, yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. It's like, you know, for me, one of my favorite musical moments ever is the Miami Vice pilot when um, you know, Don I'm John- back right now. Yeah, we're, we're like like Don Johnson's. It's on YouTube. So so Don Johnson is driving, and Philip Michael Thomas is loading the shotgun, and you hear Phil Collins in the air, kind of kind of creeping up, and he's like, "How much time we got? Fifteen minutes." And he's like loading the shotgun, and you feel I can hear it come. And you know, it's like it was just it was just something about the motion of it, and just it was just so cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything about. That moment, like you look at it now, it's probably corny, but back then there was the so coolest much thing ever. <laughs> there was just so much swagger. There was just so much like the combination of the song and and the, what they're about to do, and it was just like mm-hmm. like that whole thing. It's like I don't really think I ever forgot that, and so that's why to me, mixing the show and adding the music to Luke Cage and the music being the secret weapon. Right. Is that's why it's always so important because I remember what it was like watching Miami Vice as a kid and feeling like you were watching something come together in this way that and culminate mm-hmm. in this in this combination of, of like swagger, visual, panache, music and rhythm. And then being like, Okay, it's like you just find little bits of that anywhere you can and then you, and that and with building a television show, it's really kind of the same thing. Right, you know, is is really pulling together all those different elements. Well, all right, so let's let's get into season two of Luke Cage, and I mean that's a great point to start on. This season, this is a very Caribbean season. This is a Jamaican season of yeah, the show, my. and the music is all about that. Like, and it was interesting. One of the things I thought while watching it, now th- while these are very different experiences, did you see uh, the movie Crown Heights with Lakeith Stanfield? I haven't yet. You haven't yet. All right, Crown. I mean, it's based on a true story, but I remember when I watched, I absolutely loved that movie. And part of it was that I didn't, I wasn't used to seeing a Caribbean representation on the screen that wasn't just like gangsters or like some kind of cartoon, right? You know, and on top of that, the music as well. Like you don't just you hear like a Jamaican song in some shitty show where they're smoking weed. <laughs> That's when you hear that song. Mm-hmm. Whereas Luke Cage season two is just like embedded with some incredible, incredible Jamaican music, and that's a total shift from season one. Mm-hmm. So I guess. How did you approach adding that as as a as a cultural aspect to this season that's like just indefatigable? Well, okay, um, Mike Coulter's wife um, threw him a surprise party. Um, it was I think it was it was a surprise fortieth um, or forty first birthday party, and okay. um, we were we were all at the house, and you know so I was there, um, Alfie was there, a few other people, and what happened was. You know, we surprised Mike, and then, you know, we're just kind of sitting around, like, you know, just celebrating. And he, on his Spotify, he happened to choose the um, Shaba like, um, the, the Ranks channel, whatever it was. <laughs> okay. And it was all these, like, just all these dancehall songs that I remember from the 90s. Like, everything from, like, Mad Cobra to um, Don Penn to um, Tenor Saw to um you know sister nancy Bamba, like i was all this like it was basically was like being back in the 90s where you'd have the hip-hop set and then the reggae would come on and mm-hmm. it was just like even if you didn't understand what they were saying um because because of the patois there was a rhythm to it 
And so it just, just remembering the vibe, it was just like, okay, like that, it just really made me think, okay, if season one was about the Wu-Tangification of the Marvel Universe Mm -hmm. and introducing real hip hop into Marvel, um, in terms of the, at least on the television side, season two would was really going to be about the roots of hip hop. Mm. The roots of hip hop are, you know, funk and blues, but also it has a very heavy, like specifically Jamaican massive um, influence. I mean, yep. down to, to the sound systems, down to, you know, toasting over rhythms, like the, the like you know because Cool Herc, you know, immigrated. From Kingston to the South Bronx when he was when he was a young teenager, he bought what he saw, you know, down there up here, and and so you know it's one of the building blocks, mm-hmm. and so it allows us basically musically to kind of have both approaches and then also kind of have this certain cultural war between you know the Stokeses and you know that whole story of immigrating from the South and coming to the Promised Land of the North. And then Bushmaster's father, you know, immigrating from Jamaica and coming to the promised land of New York. These two men that were best friends founding Harlem's Paradise. And because of all these different things that happened, splitting apart and death and betrayal and prodigal sons returning for revenge and all these different elements that, that we have. But then at the same time, also telling a musical story. So it's just like... Uh, you know, the Stokes clan's backstories for me has always been one of the most fun elements of 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 the show. And, and if, if if I had the choice of being able to like spin off anything from Luke Cage, I I, I would love to do like like a um, a, a Stokes series. Oh like, man! I mean, because it was because no. it was because I mean, just the whole premise of of like the early days of Harlem's Paradise and the club and just you know all 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 that whole world mm-hmm. you know like if if you could just do stoking the flames is the name of the is the name of the series <laughs> you know <laughs> it, 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 it would be it would be one of those things because um it's just that was the thing it was interesting because um when working with Mahershala um he always had these questions about like why is Cottonmouth this way? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Mm-hmm. And it forced us as a writing staff to think, okay, why is he doing this? What is that background? Um, and as we began building up towards episode seven of last season, it, you know, it was about all those little pieces and just like, you know, those moments. And then, but, but then once we actually did it, it was just like, oh my God, like the, like the backstory and the, and, and the feel of this whole world is just incredible. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I knew that, uh, you know, just being a blues fan, like I, I knew that I wanted to at some point somewhere use John Lee Hooker's on Bad Like Jesse James. And the fact that in Michaela Cooper's episode for episode seven of last of season one, that we had that moment with that, where that song just plays in the background. And as the song builds up, we, we build towards the murder of Uncle Pete and, and Cottonmouth pulling the trigger and the whole thing. When you watch it as a seamless musical moment, it's just like, whoa. Again, going back to the power and matching image with song. Totally, that's um, it. That's the show, and that's the thing in terms of this season with season two. It's like um, Adrian and Ali were like, like very specifically making what Adrian calls symphonic reggae, mm-hmm. and then at the same time also making sure that we were using 
you know, um, like we use um, under me sling, under me, under me sling thing, um, like you know, Barrington Levy um, in in episode three, I think, is, is when we use that, mm-hmm. and then it's, and then of course we had Max Romeo's, um, you know, I chase the devil, Lucifer, son yeah. of the morning, yeah, which I think you some know. people still don't know that's a real <laughs> where that sample comes from, so I like yeah, that. so 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 like 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 having moments like that, and then at the same time, you know, really trying to be. Um, authentic, not just to the music, but you know, Jamaicans have a very strong cultural pride that mm-hmm. comes from the fact that you had the Maroons, who were former slaves, who were able to push out the slave masters, who were able to, you know, fought so fiercely they were, they were able to protect their own land and their culture, and that cultural resistance is present in the music because you go from the maroons and the, the you know all the way to roots and bob marley and and you know it's like that was one of the things that um we wanted to do with the show which is the same way that season one was kind of like a trojan horse into getting into the politics and history of harlem season two allowed us to also explore some of the politics and history of jamaica in addition to further histories of harlem um mm-hmm. all inside of a comic book show because right. which, which, which is why it's it's fun because you get to do superhero stuff you get to do cultural you know um history mm-hmm. and you get to have all these different moments and then you just try to kind of mix it up in ways that that feel like fun and interesting as opposed to just a straight-up history lesson right and it and it's interesting too because you're saying about having season two be jamaican music I know that for a fact, a lot of Jamaican records, in addition to like to, to Cool Herc, a lot of records were sampled for their great drums. A lot of a lot of a lot of Jamaican great great reggae songs start with a snare hit, yeah, and that snare hit will get taken by a producer and put into something else. And so you've got all that produced hip hop in the first season. Second one's got it too. We got hip hop yeah. in the second season for sure. Oh yeah, but there's I, a lot of this other type of well, music. Well, like, like what, one of my favorite moments is um, in episode six. Um, there's this showdown between. Bushmaster and Luke Cage on 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 the high bridge in in Harlem. My favorite, maybe and, one of my favorite scenes. scenes and, in the and, and we actually use um, the um, Lee Scratch Perry, um, you know, version of 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 the song that's called "Sun Is Shining." But I think you know, like Lee, because the earliest version is called "To the Rescue." Right. You know, to the rescue, here I am. Like, like you know, of course I can't sing. It's terrible. <laughs> but, but, but you know, but, but the thing is, is, is like, there, there's a rhythm and there's a rawness to Scratch's version that when you hear it, it's just like, and you see these, you see them kind of walking for this showdown. It's almost like, 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 like a high noon western. It's oh, it just is. like, it, it really has this moment that resonates, you know, in, in, in a cool way. And so that's the whole thing is just being able to. To use that, or even the way that that Stephen Marley, um, you know, we, in, in episode seven, yeah. like like there, there's that acoustic moment that he has in the club where the club is empty, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and um, you know Tilda or, or Gabrielle Dennis's character walks in, and there's a certain rhythm. It's almost as if he's singing to her about what about her dilemma, yeah, yeah. And, and then later on when you have the ascension of Bushmaster without spoiling too much, and you have that other um, Stephen Marley song. It's just there's no secret. I, I live for the music. <laughs> I, you know, we we as a writing staff build for all these moments, but I always, you know, always I always have in mind the musical underpinnings of of, of what we're we're trying to accomplish. 
It's an important part of the narration. Also, for easily my favorite musical moment in the show, I'm not going to spoil, but there's also a really great, um, somebody I did not expect to see in the very last scene of the very last episode. <laughs> did not expect to see that person perform. That was awesome. Uh, oh, what, 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 the thing is, okay, fine. It's Rakim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason that we can spoil that is because we've already revealed the fact that Rakim is on the show. Okay. But right. the most interesting part about having Rakim on the show besides, I mean, anytime you can get the um, Terrence Malick of hip-hop, <laughs> uh, you know, on a show because he's so elusive, <laughs> it's great. Uh, at the same time, he actually created a song about Luke Cage. Yes, he and did. And so the so fact that... I wasn't sure we could say that. <laughs> but, but, but the, you know, because we, we, have, we have... So great. We have plans to kind of um, pre-release to um, put the song out. Oh, great. Okay. Because, I mean, the song that Rakim did is hot. So that's going to be coming out Cars in the Summer. That's I hope so. Because it's, I mean, because when you hear the R sounding like the R and he's, yeah. and he's rapping about Luke Cage, it's like the, 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 the 14, 15 year old in me is like, it's still like, I like. No, I squeed a bit. I definitely squeed a bit just watching it. But I have to admit, my favorite and most unexpected musical in a uh, moment in the show, because I was not familiar with this artist at all, is the cover of The Thrill is Gone. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. Christian Kingfish. Oh, my Lord. Um, so the whole way that happened is that, um, like, literally, um, I saw him on YouTube, I think, when he was 15. He's young now. He's. 18? He, he, he's only 18 yeah, now. 18, yeah. But he was 15 or 16 years old. And I saw a YouTube link. And I'm, and because, you know, so like someone did one of these stories that, you know, like, like Young Blues plays the White House. And he's a, he was just sitting there casually with this cat that looks like Biggie Smalls. <laughs> and he, and sounds like a 55 year old blues man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 15 years old. Like, like, you know, heavy set, you know, big little kid. He's 15. And he's just playing the blue. Like, like, you know, he's playing, oh. he's playing guitar just like a ring and a bell. Like, yes. like, like Johnny B. Like, he's just like playing. And and I'm and you know just being a long term blues fan and a hip hop critic and just knowing the music the way I know the music, I can kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. And there was no hype like this is, kid is one of the most talented performers I'd ever seen. Floored me. And I was just obsessed with him like to the point where I literally thought about like like let me try to open a, a record label and see if I can sign this kid because <laughs> but then he just started doing more and more like blues festivals and you, you could kind of see the progression of his career online just on YouTube mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so like finally I found out his name and there was finally a link and I e- like I, I emailed the link and said I, I know this sounds crazy but <laughs> <laughs> but I created this show Come called to Luke, Luke Cage, like, like, like Luke Cage <laughs> um, you know I, I would have loved to put him on the first season but you know, there just wasn't really space. But I said uh-huh. for second season, like this is one of the guys I have to get. And luckily, by then, I mean, he, you know, he's still represented by his mother, but also has another manager. You know, it, we were able to reach out, and then you know, it, it was funny because he tells the story. He was like, "Yeah, like I was watching Luke Cage." And then by the time I got to episode five, I got this email <laughs> about Luke Cage. <laughs> you know, about Luke Cage. Oh, I, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, mom, like, like this is. It was oh, just, that's amazing. And like yeah. and he he is a singular talent. He has an incredible rhythm section who like from from the show like those guys don't get in his way at all. They're just putting it down and just letting this I mean Well, because that, that's the thing. Well, 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 you know, it wasn't that wasn't his real like rhythm his real, his real rhythm Oh, it's section. not Oh, it's not in the no, show? No, okay. but but the thing is Cuz they, they were just in the way in the yeah. pocket like just Well, cuz the thing is is Adrian and Ali um when we re- when we recorded Kingfish in um in L A in the studio, 
he laid the vocals and did the the solos for I put a spell on you and the thrill is gone. Uh huh. Two hours. Wow. Forty five minutes each song and then they just ad lib. He's sitting there just like I'll, I'll show you on my phone. Like after after we get off, I'll, I'll play. Solo on I'll play. I'll play you the footage. It's just like it's insane when wow. you watch this kid. Wow. Like he really is the future. So yep. Yep. to be able to have him on and then at the same time also have um, Gary Clark Jr. I, I mean, yep. you know, that was that was me. The mu- all right, some music in the show. I want to move from music because we'll talk about music for too all long, day. especially because you were a journalist. Um, so, like, one aspect I think of the show um, is that I feel like in the first season of Luke Cage, and you you brought this up when you were last on Fan Bros, talking about preserving the elements of joy uh-huh. in in your presentation of the story. I think this season has far fewer elements of joy. I think I think this is a meaner season. I think it's it's sadder. It's it's more bitter. No, it's a complicated. Thing. It's it's a dark. It's a much darker thing. And I think that threw me in certain ways experiencing it. So, was that something you went like? Did you go in realizing that we're going to tell? We're gonna, it's not. It's not. It, negative is, is not right, but it's like. A, I mean, it's yeah, not a negative story. Well, well, I mean, because yeah, right now you make the show sound pretty fucked it's, up. No, <laughs> it got, yo. The second the second season is is much darker. I it hurt me to see some of what Luke goes through in this season, and that's without even getting into like some of the side stories of the ancillary characters and how they suffer and how that suffering is portrayed on screen. Well, y- y- it wasn't make Luke suffer. That 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 <laughs> that, 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 that wasn't really our, our premise. He's hurt, he's hurting for a bunch of this. um. <laughs> the thing was, you know, um, it was interesting, um. Of the many criticisms of season one, the ones that really affected me the most, and this is in a good way, was um, Angelica Jade Bastian's um, like her, her summary, her, her episodic summaries mm-hmm. of of the season. They some of them she loved, some of the episodes she loves, some were scathing, but they were so well written and just brilliant, just in terms of their deconstruction of what we were doing, what we were attempting to do, that. At the very beginning of the season, um, I printed out all thirteen of them, and as a writing staff, we, 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 we you know we we read them and went through them because I said of all because I read everything, I read every single comment. Like if you want to holler at me at, at, at Twitter and get into a little tw- you know tweet battle, I, like I'm I'm, I'm for Damn. it. All right. Like I mean, it's just you have to be like that because being a former critic, you you develop a very thick skin. Mm. Um, and so like that's why sometimes it's fun. Like like I, like someone I'll, I'll put in Luke Cage. And I'll go on Twitter, and then I'll read some of the criticisms, and then I'll just, I'll just like, I'll literally just answer, and people will be like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this a, wait, this is a verified account? <laughs> exactly. They, you know, but but that, that's the whole, that's the the, the genius um, of Twitter uh, is is the fact that that you can engage on that level. But the thing was was that I found the the criticisms in a way very helpful because she was pointing out for all the things that we imagined. You know, in all the different backstories, we didn't necessarily spend enough time on imagining Luke Cage and his evolution as a man. So mm-hmm. it was really one of the things that we wanted to do was make sure that this time out, that we had a full emotional evolution for Luke to take him on an emotional journey for all 13 episodes. And that was one of the most important things that we did because we knew that we had some really interesting side stories for uh, Mariah Dillard. We knew that we were going to have some interesting things, you know, with Shades. We knew that we were introducing two new villains in terms of um, Bushmaster and potentially a potential villain in Mariah's daughter, Tilda. Um, We also knew that we had Misty Knight's evolution because of losing our arm in the Defenders. Mm -hmm. But we didn't lose sight of Luke. And the one thing that, that we thought about 
is that, uh, you know, I, I, I love boxing and I love boxers. Um, Mike Tyson said something 30 years ago that is still one of my favorite quotes of all time in which he said, everybody's got a plan to, until they get punched in the face. Oh, I lo- that is a great quote. Yes. And, and, yes. and so yes. what that means, and it's if you watch boxing, you know, everyone's they're working out they got a training you know you're I'm watching I'm going to do this and this yeah, you know you 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 you're, you're watching your opponent on on film yeah. you're working out and they all you know getting into your whole rocky thing rocky <laughs> versus clubber land kind of thing but then once you actually get in the ring and you get punched for the first time at that point you really understand who you're going against right like i, I like one of the one of my favorite moments was um it was it was Ricky Hatton versus um, Pacquiao because I watched the HBO 24-7s. And there was all this buildup because Floyd Mayweather Sr. Was, was training Ricky Hatton. And you thought that, hey, like, you know, Ricky looks pretty good. And, you, and he's working class. He's British. He, like, he, interesting story. You know, and then he gets in the ring. Like, and you think, okay, this guy's got a chance. And then he gets in the ring. And Pacquiao, I, I swear to God, when he knocked him out, I thought he killed him. <laughs> and, it, it, and, like, after he knocked him out in that way, Ricky Hatton's career just never recovered. You know, and his personal life, like the whole, it fell to shambles. And 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 that, you know, that motivation, it made me think, and we talked about this as a writing staff, it's like, if Luke Cage, as a public hero, gets his ass kicked, like, how does that affect him personally? Like, how is he going to get over that? You know, what are the other things that are going to happen, um, you know, with the introduction of his father, which was played by the, the late Reggie Cathy? Um and he just, you know, and, he, and their relationship is amazing, and 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 Absolutely. you know, the arc of that relationship is really interesting. When you start taking people away from Luke, what are you left with? And then how does he get to the other side? And the interesting thing when you watch all, which is really why you have to watch all thirteen episodes, is because the Luke Cage at the end of season two is very different than the Luke Cage at the beginning of season two. And even more interesting is by the time you really get to the end. I think people's initial reaction is going to be like, I need to start from episode one <laughs> because I really didn't know this guy. And I thought I did. Right. It's, it's one of those things that I think is going to be a, a really cool revelation. I'd agree with that. Like, I think his character journey is fascinating in this. I think he has the getting punched in the face moment. It's pretty beautiful. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like a part of this show is this idea of, of social media rep. I mean, not that social media is bad, but that its damage also relates to how we survive and navigate our identity following something like, uh, you know, a huge, uh, the equivalent of getting punched in the face, yeah. <laughs> except, except on Twitter. Um, and, and, and yeah, and if, if that wasn't, I'm, like, I'm, I'm working around because I'm afraid about like, what exactly we're spoiling or not, but if the moment that happens to Luke Cage was not recorded, I wonder if he would, have approached it the exact same way. Right. But it's very important that it was recorded and that that's an aspect of throughout the season. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's why it's like one of my favorite moments is uh, one of my favorite characters that we that we um, really developed this season is the character of D.W. Mm-hmm. Because from the comic books, you know, there was the character D.W. Griffith who is like, is when Luke Cage is working in his, in his um, you know, little office above the gym theater you know there, there's the movie buff who's always around luke so we basically the kid who was selling dvds on the corner 
um, in season one of Luke Cage, we just we decided, okay, that's who, that's who it's going to turn out that that that's who that is. Uh-huh, is our uh-huh. version of that. Uh-huh. So D Dub works in works in Harlem's pair. I mean, I'm sorry, he works in in, in Pops. Pops Barbershop. Um, he sells. I mean, the, the the t-shirt that I have on right now is actually one of the. the are those all? For, are those all going to be for sale? By the way, all the shirts I, in the show. I wish you try. Okay. I, I mean, right. you, you know what happened was this shirt was so cool that <laughs> I got on set. I said, "If there's a double XL, I'll just take one off the top." And this is. Cheo is, by the way, is wearing the Run DMC Luke Cage shirt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, um, I, like at some point, hopefully, um, we'll actually talk with Run DMC and Marvel. You know, Marvel marketing because I, I really think that this 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 shirt would would take off if, if, Hell's if, yeah. if we put it out. Absolutely. Um. But that's the thing. It was like, that's what D Dub does. Is he he basically becomes as he calls himself. He's Luke's Howard Bingham. He follows Luke. He takes pictures of Luke. You know, even the moment from the trailer when when, when he's like, "Got it all, man." Yeah. It's like Luke wasn't <laughs> expecting him to be there. Right. And then he puts it online. You know, Luke is after this point. He's like, "Look, I'm I'm sick and tired of running from the camera. So I'm going to look in the camera and say, look, 'Look, I'm Luke Cage. I'm this, I'm yeah, that.' Get you know, you know, <laughs> get at me. But putting that out there." Is you're inviting trouble in, into your realm mm-hmm. because you're getting to the point where you're feeling yourself and you feel like you're invulnerable, and then that's when you get punched in the face. It's usually at the moment that you feel like you're bulletproof. That's when things happen. I mean, you know, one of my favorite, pre- you know, the new one, you know, the new and untouchable Death Row Records. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you know, which was because I, I was I was at House of Blues on Fourth on Fourth of July, 1996. When Tupac was on stage, and they, you know, they'd already pushed Dre out of the company and Shug rebranded the company, the new and untouchable Death Row Records, and then a month and a half later, Tupac was dead. You know, Main Source forever, Bobby Brown forever, Spice Girls forever, virtually every group, Wu Tang forever, virtually every group that's ever named an album forever within a year is broken up. I mean, Wu Tang is, of course, rebranded, gotten back together, but yeah, like, yeah. it's all like Puff Daddy Forever, right after Puff Daddy Forever. Like, I, I remember, um, <laughs> I was, I, 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 I was, I, I was around, I was around Puff, um, and this was, this was before that album came out. Um, they'd flown me to Miami. This was really early on in my career to 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 work on a, um, basically on on a on a long form music video um, for that album. And I was with um, Benny Medina. Benny Medina, you know, who of course manages J Lo, if he mm-hmm. has for years. And this was around the time that he transitioned from managing Puff to managing J Lo. I remember we were actually in Atlanta, and he was telling me the premise. And I, and I, and I said, I said, Benny, like, you cannot let Puff name this album forever. <laughs> and, and he's like, Yo, well, this is his concept. He wants Fountain of Youth and this other thing. And I, I said, I said, you can't do it, man. I, I, and I said, Bobby Brown forever, Main Source forever, Spice Girl. I said, you can't know. I can't believe it. And that. then he did, and then that's when the whole, you know, Puff caught the case and had to go to trial, uh, shine, the whole thing fell apart when that album came out. You're blowing my mind right now. But yeah, <laughs> but so, so well, first, never name any, any, you know, any work forever. Right. Period. It's, it's cursed. Okay, no, done, done. You know? That's, that's a new rule. <laughs> but that's the thing, it's like, you know, because with Luke Cage, he's fighting against... This sense of invulnerability and, te- and technically immortality to a certain extent, mm-hmm. you know, because of, with his cellular regeneration, which gives him his powers, he really should be like Wolverine. Like, uh, you know, that's the thing. That, that's that's where his strength comes from. Is because with his cells regenerating, that's what makes him strong. You know, his healing factor, all these things. So it's like with Luke Cage, you have to when you find somebody that can actually fight him on his level, 
when you find somebody that you know is going to challenge him, um, that's really it's he's facing what what any boxer faces. You know, boxers I think are not defined by being undefeated. They're really the best boxers are defined by defeat because of the fact that they put it all on the line, lost and got it back. That's to me why Muhammad Ali will always be one of the best champions of all time. But it's not because he didn't get defeated. He, he like there are a number of times Ali got his ass kicked, but he always you know eventually avenged you know, those you know those defeats. I mean his whole rivalry with, with Joe Frazier, perfect example. Like very few people remember the fact that you know Ali Frazier won, Ali lost. You know, and then he won. He won two, and he famously, of course, th- the, you know, the uh, Thriller Manila, you know, went the distance. But like, you know, both men kind of like lost right. to a certain extent. It was extent. an exchange, and it was yeah. yeah. It, it's not just like a meteoric straight straight up rise. And that was the one thing that we also do in terms of season um, two of Luke Cage, in terms of of in terms of our arc for for Bushmaster and Luke is Ali Frazier one. <laughs> Holly Fraser two, Holly Fraser three, mm-hmm. is really making sure that as they skirmish, like each fight has its own quality. Um, speaking, we've brought up Bushmaster a few times, so Bushmaster is a central villain of of the season. Um, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but uh, the season I feel is one solid piece, mm-hmm. whereas season one was sort of bisected, and I feel like almost every Marvel show, it's like it's a two arc show. That's what they do. This one feels like a one arc. It's a one story, one straight narrative. Um, the actor playing him, who I believe is Mustafa Shakir, mm-hmm. is, is the guy who plays. I personally, I I've known him best from a show that no one watched called Quarry, which uh, the fan bros on Chico Leo turned me on to, and he's incredible in that. Yeah. And he is totally different here. Oh, tell yeah. me about how you, how you how you found him, like how you figured out that this was going to be your character. Um, we had the. Uh, Audition in LA, and we saw some actors that were really good. But then Mustafa <laughs> walked in, and, and, and like he did the audition after he left. We, we just all looked at each other like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you audition him as Jamaican? Were you like, come in, do your Jamaican? Um, yeah, but the okay. thing was, was that they they wanted um, Marvel and Netflix wanted both because okay. one of the bigger challenges was saying, okay, you know, they were this whole thing like like like. They they were unsure about the accent. They were unsure, like you know, do you want to have like so maybe he's Jamaican, but he but he but because he grew up in America, like he doesn't have the accent and this and that. And I was like, I was, and I basically said no. I'm so happy. I'm, you I'm, won I'm, that. I'm like I'm like we're not doing subtitles, and we're going to go for as authentic as possible in terms of the patois because of the fact that I wanted the audience to experience it the way that I experienced in the '90s, mm-hmm. where like you know. At first, you're hearing like 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 a like a Shaba Rank song, like like Roots and Culture, and because you you you're not familiar with patois, you think that he's saying word him up instead of saying murderer, <laughs> you know. Like, but what happens is that the more that you listen and understand the accent, then you really begin to understand what they're talking about, mm-hmm. and and the process is is just you just have to just let the words and the rhythms wash over you and then eventually you really begin to get insight and understanding and so it happened i saw it happen really as people began to see finished episodes they would start off saying in episode one i don't understand what anybody's saying but then by episode five they're like what go on you know so it, it it becomes this this whole thing where it's just like i i really feel like i'm hoping that the same thing happens with um with the audience Mm-hmm. is that they'll experience that. And that, I mean, the thing is, is that we try enough to get it right, and hopefully people will give us, you know, will 
not give us props for it, but at the very least appreciate that we really were trying our best, you know, to do something different. I mean, you know, the thing, like, it, I, I haven't really yet talked to um, any, you know, Nigerians or South Africans about, about Black Panther yet. Um, the, over, the overall thing that I hear is that while some people say some of the accents aren't, aren't as accurate as, as others, it's, it's just the, the fact that Africa was put forward in a positive light that the bigger picture, people understand that, you know, Ryan Coogler was going for, for something authentic. And so that every single thing that you see, it comes from various aspects of African culture in different countries on the continent, but it's just, it's got a real, you know, feel mm-hmm. and that's authentic. And it's kind of the same thing with us in terms of, um, we know we didn't get everything right, but we wanted the feel itself to be authentic. We wanted people, particularly that come from that culture, to understand that we were not just being respectful, but we wanted to, to really celebrate elements of the culture and, and the complexities of that culture. Because right. the last thing we wanted to do is, is do some like Steven Seagal, Mark for Death kind of. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it could have gone. It could have gone there, right? I'm so happy that you were able to rally for that representation because yeah. I do think it's there, um, and. I think that there are challenges to, to listening to the Patois on the show, um, but I agree with you. I think they'll get it. I think a few episodes in, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be sharing the lingo. They'll be ta- They'll be speaking some weird element of it. Um, and also, I mean, like the even the, the restaurant. Um, what was the name of the restaurant in the? Um, well, the it's red? It, it's um in in the restaurant it's called it's, um, the restaurant in the show is called Gwen's. <laughs> It's it's actually Gwen's, that's right. it's actually the the best Jamaican restaurant that that I've gone to. Um, it's in Brooklyn. It's it's, it's called Gla- Gladys. Okay. But um, which is really it's it's, it's such a great restaurant. Uh huh. I've, um, I've not been. All right. Yeah. Gladys. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No. I mean, like, the things in this show are just unapologetically Jamaican, and I think people are gonna people are gonna appreciate that and draw to it. It's an interesting comparison what you're saying about Black Panther because yeah, I have re- read actually some criticisms from Nigerian folk who had seen it and were like kind of because the show because the movie was kind of presenting a a, a Pan African kind of you know not a, almost not a monoculture but sort of served as a monoculture mm-hmm. but yeah I think people appreciated what they were going for what they were trying for and the pride they were trying to express I feel like there's Jamaican pride in this season of Luke Cage and I yeah. hope that other people see that um, alright uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much more time we have left because no one's <laughs> no one's told us that yeah okay um, well you know if we have time for one more I do have a brap session for you okay some quick questions um, that we can go through there there's usually there's two or three people here so they get to bounce off each other it's just me okay so I'm just being so, so be ready if you have if you have some texture to an answer go for it okay we'll start easy swamp thing or man thing huh swamp thing swamp thing or Groot 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 or poison ivy Groot nice all right Groot wins out on that Muttley from Wacky Racers or Snarf from Thundercats? Um, Muttley. <laughs> Muttley? I'm all about it. I have Muttley's lap. Tough one. Primo or Dilla? Ooh. Ah, see. <laughs> Ooh. It really is a tie. Um, and the reason being is that um, they both have completely change the way that rap producers approach rhythm um you know the thing about primo is with his rhythm scratches the way the way the way particularly that he scratches but also his sense of rhythm um you hear a, a primo track and you immediately know what's happening but then 
Dilla in terms of the way that he used that, you know, like Questlove is, 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 is a lot more articulate about um, from a musical standpoint. What Dilla what, does. Like, like w- w- the way Dilla broke things down. Certain, mm-hmm. certain producers and their sonic approach, particularly with hip hop, they change how you listen to hip hop. You know, Paul C., Back in the day, w- was one of those producers. Um, if you listen to, you know, Critical Beatdown, the first Ultra Magnetic MCs record, mm, like mm. the way that they they use sampling in that, you know, was incredible. You know, whether it was Seji or, or, or Marley, you know, there 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 were just certain things about how that was produced. Um, you know, Primo, just in terms of Gangstar, and, and also even a, a record like Come Clean, mm. you know, um, with with Jay Ru the Damager, it's like. He's doing things rhythmically that you've that you've never heard before, and Dilla is like the the deeper you get into, into Dilla, then you, it's just a, it's a whole unpacking that is just like it's it's incredible, and that's why I say that you really can't. That's the one of the rare cases where, <laughs> you know, um, can't I, even pull one up. You well, can't you, pull you, one you, higher you, than the well, other. You know, what I'm thinking of it's okay. That hit me as if you you pulled out the ultimate nullifier. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, like there, there, there probably is 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 in a, a way to somewhere in the room somewhere. <laughs> like 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 like, what's your answer gonna be? Because you know, the the whole the, the universe might split if, if if you make the wrong choice. You know, no, that no, I know. I, I softened you, but then threw you. Like, yeah, that's super tough one. I that think was that's great. granted. That's granted. Um, Ralph Ellison or Richard Wright? <laughs> yeah, see, I told you, I told you, we we getting harder, we getting harder. Um, Ralph. Oh, <laughs> I would say Ralph Ellison, but it's okay. tough because Invisible Man is one of those books that I try to reread every 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 couple of years because Same. there's just so much. I mean, you know, former English major. I mean, there's so much there, but you know, to me, Richard Wright, um, Uncle Tom's Children, um, you know, this the the short story Big Boy, you know, Big Boy Goes Home still haunts me um you know native son of course mm-hmm. um you know there's actually an essay in front of um you know native son um called how bigger was born yes yes and, of course and within that essay he essentially describes the paradigm of of what biggie smalls would eventually represent hmm. you know um just just in terms of 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 giving vo- you know the voice of the voiceless and you know when he, when he describes you know the real life you know bigger thomases that that influenced his bigger thomas mm-hmm. and you know you read it and you're like yo like this sounds a lot like big <laughs> you know it, it just in terms of this you know the narrative of this thug that that is not taking no for an answer and isn't afraid of 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 of, of whiteness or authority and is and is basically using the streets by the means you know from which to huh. to take his power out of you know, that's pretty much the, you know the whole premise of gangster rap. It, you know, that's when you a, that's fascinating to Biggie. You know, when you wow. read it in, in, in that way, so it's like um, wow. it's, it's it's interesting because you know, basically talking about Ralph Ellison, the one knock people have about Ellison is is that okay, he had that one novel, and then everything else that's come out has been either unfinished or, or right, you know, like Juneteenth and stuff like that. Yeah. And also the fact that he was devastated by that fire where, where he lost all this stuff. And right. so there's part, it's you, you, part of you will never really know. It's, it's not, you know, fires is devastating anyway. I mean, even like, like with RZA, like there are all these beats that he had until 
Wasn't there a flood? Wasn't was, there a flood it, it, that it, destroyed it, it, it like a, one? It, it was a flood or something happened, and he yeah, lost like destroyed the Raekwon's follow up, and, and then he had to you know reconstruct everything. Yeah. It's just like yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. I know, acts of nature. Um, Christopher Priest or Reginald Hudlin? Um, Christopher Priest, and it's hard because you know Reg's my man. And but, Reggie's great, but, but the thing, and the reason that it's it's there's the pause there, it's because Christopher Priest had the longer run, right, and to a certain extent more influential. But it was Reg, it was Reggie's reboot of Black Panther that really proved that there was an audience for Black Panther, for the standpoint that he needs to be one of these characters that, that gets a movie. I agree, and I agree. and what I loved about it was, but it was really Reggie's run that. Um, made me fully realize the cinematic potential for Black Panther from the mm. standpoint of how he modernized it. Like, even from from, from the first um, issue where um, he has the kind of fake Condoleezza Rice and, and, and they're, like, presenting, you know, this vision of Wakanda and the mystery of it and, and, and him kicking Captain America's ass and the, and the general that gets really mad, you know, about the fact that that that, that happened. And, and, you know, it's just really... Um, there was something about... Reggie's approach that was fun, funny, in addition to being like woke. Um, whereas Christopher Priest, however, you know, at the time, you know, when it was when it was Marvel Max and when he was doing it, I mean, he he really just like he really dusted off the character in a way that really made people pay attention to it, and just because of just how deep it went. I mean, again, it's, to me, it's 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 one of those Dilla versus Primo arguments. Maybe. No, I mean, Priest, like, you're right, like, he's totally formative, but Reggie did modernize it and kind of bring it to people in this way. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that was, uh, that was something else. I was... I'm not gonna go that one. I was gonna say... <laughs> I was gonna say Reggie or ta but I'm gonna, fa- I'm gonna pass that. We're gonna skip on that one. Um, art-wise, Frank Miller prior to becoming Batshit or Barry Windsor Smith? Oh, Frank Miller. Frank Miller. All right. I pre, mean, pre batched uh, Frank Miller. What? what I mean, because because the, the thing is, is like to me, like when I think about like the storyline that really made me fully fall in love, that sent me down the rabbit hole of of, of comic books. It mm-hmm. was the um, Chris Claremont Frank Frank Miller um, Wolverine. Oh yes. Lim, limited series. I okay. Mean, okay. I'm with that. Yeah. That's an, that's an important one. I also was really about the Barry Windsor Smith Wolverine. We're talking about <laughs> we're yeah. talking about two people who do Wolverine. Um, I'm about that one too. I, for me, I think the Barry Windsor Smith edges out Frank is out the the Miller Claremont weirdly. Um, was so so the the um, the um, Weapon X Weapon X. Sorry, yeah. yes, yeah, the yeah. Weapon X story. Um, Static or Black Lightning? Black Lightning. All right, fair yeah, enough. With that uh, new that new show, I mean, yeah, it was, well, you know, but that's the thing. It's yeah, like, no. I mean, it, it's it, yeah, yeah, yes, they are they're our rival, but you know, but it's well. Here's the thing: it's like what Dwayne McDuffie was doing with Static. You know, like I think again, um, both Black Lightning and Static are really great premises for for you know for long term storytelling. You know, for for television, mm-hmm. in addition to film, if they wanted to. Right. So you know, I think. You know, a Static Shock, or really, you know, the one I would love to see would be Icon. You know, there's been rumblings about. I always hear rumblings. Yeah, Icon and Rocket doing something, doing yeah. something big. Yeah, that would be dope. Um, Bruce Banner or David Banner? <laughs> well, 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 David Banner's the better MC. <laughs> no, no, Bruce Banner. They are both intelligent as hell, though. Yeah. I, I will say that. Um, Van Jones selfie with racist or Kanye Trump photo? 
Uh, uh, well, no, Van Jones. I mean, I mean uh, the, the, the Kanye Trump, I, I can't even laugh about that. It's tragic. No, it's, not, it's, no, it's true. It's, it's, it's tragic. It's it, true. It, it really, I, I get angry, frankly. I, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's, it's like seeing like one of your favorite rappers at a Klan rally. Wow. You know what I'm saying? It, it just, it's, well put. It, it, that, that to me, it's like, it goes beyond being okay, like conservatism or, or saying that I have a different political viewpoint. Charlottesville is the line in the sand, you know, and as much as, as, as I dislike Trump, it was after Charlottesville where it's like there is no, there's no equivocating after that. It's like you either on one side or you're on the other. Because right. there aren't, you know, there aren't good people on both sides. That's right. You know, when when you get to, to that moment, and that's why, like, for Kanye to lean into that, you know, with the "Make America Great Again" and and all, and all these different slogans that that come directly from a difference, you know, from that premise, and 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 that's why I think a movie like Black Klansman is going to be very, very um, oh, oh, influential man. and interesting. Um, and I, I haven't had, had the chance to, to to see the movie yet from this, but just from everything that I've been reading about it, just for talking to Spike about it, like um, I, I can't wait to uh, you know for people to see it because of the fact that it really everyone talks about the ending of the movie um, without ruining it because there's actual footage of what happened in Charlottesville in the movie, um, and you really understand how the rhetoric and talking about something when it goes into action as actual you know. If people die because right. of, because of this kind of stuff, there are result. There are results of this. Y- you know, it's y- y- yeah. It's not just talk. It's not just cheap talk. It's not. I mean, yeah. No, I agree. That that's the problem with like seeing it. That's the that's the sadness. I think you're talking about associated with it. It's mm-hmm. that this isn't just a thing of like, look, someone's like getting embarrassed or someone's like wrong. It's like people are dying behind this rhetoric. Yeah, but yeah, behind f- bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, last one. Easy. I don't know if this is easy, but last one. Do the right thing, or she's got to have it. Do the right thing. Oh, the same for me. That's one of my um, Well, no, because I mean, the thing is, is that um, do the right thing visually. Um, you know, the acting, the writing. Um, I mean, there's so much. Like, I steal from Spike. <laughs> I, I, like, I mean, I mean, I don't think you're the only one. I mean, um, and like, well, perfect example is like. Um, he got game to me. Is 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 one of those movies that 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 people don't talk about. Enough. I bang hard for that movie. No, I I, I. I mean, like visually in terms of narrative, I I, I it's in my head. And all soundtrack? The time. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like that's one of the best hip hop soundtracks ever. Yeah. Well, well, that I mean, but also just like even just in terms of the way that he like I, I love one of the things I, I I take from all the time is is um the conversation between Ned Betty and, Den, and Ned Beatty and Denzel mm-hmm. in the office uh-huh, uh-huh, and uh-huh. the intercuts. The, the you know the flash forwards and flashbacks it's just it's just brilliant you know oh yeah that is a slept on that slept on spike it slept on if not sort of like dismissed yeah. for some reason and i'm like no that's amazing it's a great denzel performance yeah um all right i think we're going to wrap up here uh for this fan bros episode cheo hodari coker thank you so much for coming up thank you for having me thank you sir watch luke cage season 2 Beef up on your patois before you watch it. If you can, you know, I don't know, like watch Belly a couple times or something. Like, write 10 minutes a day, run two miles a day. I love it. Write <laughs> right 10 minutes a day. Do not be afraid of the blank page. Yes. All right. Peace out, y'all. All right. Peace. 
Hey everyone, this is Carla Perez. I play Rita Repulsa on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers back in the 90s. Hey, what's up? This is Samus. This is Nikki Phillips. And this is Stacey Strobel. Yo, this is Carly Hustle. Hey, what's up? This is Jamila from Girl Gone Geek. Hi, my name is Roxanne Gay. Hey, this is the Shameless Maya. Hey, what's up guys? This is Maya G. Hi, this is Reagan Gomez. Oh, hey, this is your friendly neighborhood superhero, Jean Grey. Hi, this is Lola Ganike. Hi, guys, it's Alfred Woodard. And when you're not in a lotus position eating quinoa or like rapping to your, your bay, you should be listening to fanbos. No, I said fanbos. Okay, hang on. Joining us for that incredible interview with Leo Fairman, Luke Cage Season 2 drops this Friday, June 22nd. Get all over that. It's crazy. If you love Season 1, you're going to love Season 2 even more. I mean, you already heard the interview, so you know how it's going down. The spaceship, as always, so lit. Thank you once again for joining us. But now it is time for one of my favorite segments on this show. The Guac. Is extra. The Geekwently Asked Questions. The Guac is Extra, where we answer each and every, or most of them, all the questions that you send in. Contact at fanbros.com, or you can hit us on the Twitter, at fanbroshow, and we will answer any of your questions. If you need advice, anything of that nature, it doesn't matter. Just hit us up, and we got you. And what do we have up first tonight? First up, we have from Eno Har. They write... Marvel, or is Marvel dropping the ball by not expanding the Black Panther franchise into animation, video games, comic book spinoffs, etc.? Why not capitalize on the success of the movie? Makes business sense, and I don't want to wait two to three years to go back to Wakanda. Well, well, um, they're actually not waiting. Actually. Actually, well, actually, um, they're not waiting, and, and maybe because... I don't know if these particular items that they do have out now don't appeal to you or whatever it is, but they do have stuff. In fact, they have, like, um, uh, if you want to talk video games, they, the games coming out that are featuring Black Panther. It's not just a Black Panther game, but it features them. You have app, mobile app games that feature Black Panther. In fact, the whole side story specifically about Black Panther. You, uh, As far as animation, I know that it was an old animation, but I believe they re-ran some old animation on... Um, where was it? Did they re- was it BET even? It was really weird. Yep. Yeah, that they reran the, I didn't even know it existed, uh, old Black Panther um, thing going on. So maybe they're going to redo it. I don't know. Comic book spinoffs. I mean, they tried, and then you see what happened. Oh, no, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Once again, no, they didn't try. They are doing that right now, and they're actually a ton they, of Black Panther. Yeah, but they also tried, and also people didn't. They didn't buy the book. Yeah, and, they didn't and, buy and the that's book. exactly the point. That, that's what I was about to say. That's what always bugs me out about this discussion from people bring up. Why aren't they doing this with this character? Why aren't they doing that with their character? Because it always goes back to the comic books, and the very first thing you got to do is buy the comic books. If you want to see the characters in more places, Marvel did not expect Black Panther to be the juggernaut that it is. That's the first thing you got to The other problem is, right now, to the Marvel movie universe, at least Black Panther, T'Challa, spoilers, is, away. you know, not a, away. Yeah, gone. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Fade away. He's fade away. away. The strength has been strength faded away. Is away yes. His body yeah. is so, away. His strength is away. So, He's away. So He's they away. can't. Yeah, they can't come out with a new video game starring Black Panther right now. And also, video game development takes years, once again, going back to this juggernaut that they didn't think it was going to be. So you have to give them time. Trust me, in the next two to four years, you're going to, probably in the next year. I won't even say two to four. I'll they don't want to wait year, two to three years. Yeah, okay, well, in the next year, you're going to see a ton of Wakanda stuff. But go out, buy the comics, you know, buy the things. Demand it from Marvel. You have to support these things to see it. Buy the Blu-ray. You know, it's how these things Not work. And they've expanded it in many different ways besides the obvious. Like, you see, when it comes to retail, they expanded it with the Marvel collection, the Marvel Cross Vans collection. Like, there's there's literally a Vans sneaker that I now own that's specifically... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's sauce. Uh. That's specifically about Black Panther. It, it's literally modeled after her suit. So, I mean, like I said, there are ways that have happened, and there's stuff that they have done in the past, but... You know, for one reason or another, it didn't work out. But that doesn't mean that it's not more stuff coming. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, I guess, be more diligent about finding more stuff that is Black Panther related. And as Ben Ami said, within the year, you'll probably see a lot more, especially because they're going to start gearing up for the next promo cycle for uh, Black Panther 2. Not to mention there's there was Rise of the Black Panther that Evan Narcisse wrote, a six-issue limited series. The yep. Dora Milaje are basically traveling through the Marvel Universe in one shots, the first one being with uh, Spider-Man. Uh, so Say something, Ben, so we can see that. Oh, uh, that's Rise of the Black Panther, number one, which you should have picked up. The trade will actually be out very soon because the series just wrapped up, so make sure you pick that trade up. There's another one right, right. there. You can so, so it is out there, and that's another thing that I would challenge fans. Search. Look for what you want. Do your due diligence. If you can't answer the question, have I done everything I can with yes, then do a little bit more. It's 2018. You have the Google. You have the friends. You have the social media. Find it. Find it. Look. And if you really don't see it, then you can demand. Well, demand in general, but you have to have mm -hmm. a basis for it. Like, don't say, I don't see anything. You don't see what you don't look for. Mm. This is true. All right. Next question. Next up comes from KW86. They write, why do you think Street Fighter gets more love than Mortal Kombat? <laughs> Bruh, because it's, it's, it, it started off being way better. Well. And still is. Well, it's I mean, a couple of things. I actually think it's both ways. Um, it does. Mortal Kombat does get love on a more referential tip. As like, for example, it gets dropped a lot in songs. People make people talk about it in like. Like what they wanted to prove their geek cred. I don't know. Sometimes people talk about it in in, in um, conversation, but also you got to remember when was the last Mortal Kombat game versus when was the last Street Fighter game, and what gets updated more often, Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat? And quite frankly, we're at a point now where there's a whole generation that probably doesn't know anything about Mortal Kombat, whereas Street Fighter has consistently been out throughout even the most recent generation. So, I think it's just a matter of visibility as well and further like what are they doing with Mortal Kombat now nothing they're using the engine to make injustice games so there it is which are probably better than the Mortal Kombat games if we're keeping it a solitary stack 1000 yeah. of them things and and not to mention Street Fighter has better characters 
than Mortal Kombat. Better stories than Mortal Kombat. You're gonna start a fight. I, the that's fine. I, I will. I will defend. Yeah, bring it to, it to me. Core. I'll say it because again. The coolest thing about the Mortal Kombat characters are the fatalities. Not thank you. Not mm-hmm. their storylines. Like. Noob Sabot is basically the combination of two developers and they made a shadow into a character and I'm supposed to believe that. Me, <laughs> an intellectual. I'm supposed to believe that, <laughs> you right? You're an intellectual. So, but but so in I, terms of, well, hold on, in terms of, uh, excuse me, in terms of uh, Street Fighter, think about the, these classic characters that we known as a kid. Ryu, <laughs> Ken, Guile. They were more than just pretty faces and nice animation. They had stories. Their boards told a story just as much as they did. Not to mention the fact that they, when I was a kid, they couldn't they couldn't um, count to three. We got two. We got two turbo. We got two turbo hyper fighting. We got two <laughs> championship occasion. We got two and your mama and your cousin too. But we could never get three. And then once they never. got to three, they were out of here. Then they started teaming up with Capcom. They, they made an alliance with SNK that would make... SNK, yes. They, they, they aligned with SNK in some of those classic games. They've always been at the forefront of this fighting genre. Like, all these other games that come out, it's really... It's Street Fighter and it's Tekken. The Street Fighter series, including the verses, like Marvel versus Capcom, Street Fighter versus um, um, Capcom, all of those things, and Tekken. Mortal Kombat is, mm. is, a, is, is a distant third. Like, they're classic... But they're a distant third. Right. And and that's the thing. I'm also trying to wow. push that. It's more of a classic thing when it comes to Mortal Kombat. Also, when you look at the cycle of gaming tournaments, Mortal Kombat is not one of the top ones. When you're thinking about Evo and all these other places, no one's thinking about Mortal Kombat tournament. They're thinking <laughs> about the Street Fighter tournament. Okay? What, you, like, remember Daigo and all that? Like, that's all Street Fighter. So. And that, that was my original point. That's what I started this whole thing off with. Street Fighter was a better game. It had better animation, better controls. It was much more for a fighting game enthusiast there were so many little things in even the very first version of street fighter 2 while mortal kombat like jeff said was just about tearing somebody's head off and be like yay look what i did Maybality. friendship yeah no, not yay yeah, no. <laughs> remember i mean Maybality, shoot, uh, remember friendship uh oh uh, yeah I do. animality yeah. Uh. i mean like it had some cool moments but street fighter capcom has kept street fighter's name alive in one way or another they if they weren't coming out shit they even they even tried to out tech and tech with ex (laughs) never and actually wasn't even allowed to play mortal kombat at home the only (laughs) way i got to play it was okay when i went to when i went to the movie theater and played it there yeah so and I'm, do movie theaters even, well, some movie theaters, I would say, do they even have arcade cabinets anymore? They have a few, but it's not yes, like a few. used to be. Like yeah, so there it yeah. is. All right. All right. Up next is from Beta Ray Jill. There are actually two questions here. The first, Fing, Fang, Foom, or Drogon? Who's Fing, Fang, Foom? From Iron Man series. <laughs> yeah, he's a Marvel dragon who wears purple shorts like <laughs> the Hulk. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, Tiamat from uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, if we're, if we're just comparing dragons, I don't know. Um, Drogon from yeah, Dro- Drogon yeah, from Drogon. from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. He got murdered. Like, give me Fin Fang. Or is Drogon? No, Drogon's still fin alive, right? Drogon's the one who's still alive. There it is. I'm out. True. Fuck out of here. Drogon. I like Tiamat. I mean, if we're going for dragons, I like the old school Dungeons and Dragons Tiamat. But out of those two, Fin Fang Foom. He's much bigger and funnier. Yeah. He's got shorts. Second question. Okay, second question is why doesn't She Hulk get more love? 
See, this throws back to that other one that I said before, mm-hmm. man. They just had a really dope She-Hulk comic. It was incredible. People did not buy it. I talked about it on Comics I Copped. And she's in Avengers now. There we go. She-Hulk, I mean... And because... I think she's getting low. I mean... I believe she's, she's getting more I, Yo, her last run, um, solo run was good. I like yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I just I said. It. it was incredible. I guess it, I it's a question of when you say, when you guys ask questions like more love, like to what degree? So yeah, do you want them to be like as ubiquitous as an Iron Man? Or maybe that's why people feel like, not to say that there's nothing going on, but they feel like it's not enough love. My, as much as I love She-Hulk, like I go back to the old school John Burns She-Hulk where she was like the Deadpool, the current age, where she could see the fourth wall and talk mm. to readers and all this stuff like that. It was a great series if you've ever checked it out. It's hilarious. It breaks all the rules of comics. It's just a really dope series. So I love She-Hulk. Jennifer Waters is dope. But I'm trying to think, and this is an honest question, is there any character, especially one where it's like, okay, you have Miles Morales. He's not as popular as Peter Parker in the story. But like, it gets even worse when it's like a character who is a dude and then the woman version. Captain Marvel might be the only one. But that's only because the original Captain Marvel you know, kind of faded out of Existence. I mean, he didn't fade. He, but I'm, he, I mean, you're being, I mean, you're being, you're being, uh, you're kidding. Headed with Kit Glow. The brother, the brother passed away. Fuck cancer. I know. Fuck, I'm fuck gay, cancer. man. Hey, it's I'm, I'm, I'm cancer. You already know. Yeah. Fuck it's cancer. Combat right, cancer. Right, all that. Right. You know how we do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I don't think there's many characters like that. And I think it might be a problem with her name. And that's why in the last She-Hulk run, they just called it Hulk. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe that was the reason why I didn't catch on. Because people didn't even know that it was about She-Hulk. Yeah. It's a win-lose. You know, She-Hulk, it's such a... That name is like... That was a very trash name. Maybe she needs a name up Yeah. There. What would you call yeah, it's her? A, I mean, what do you expect? It was derivative led by men, so, I mean... Yeah, I know. It's Lady so Hulk. bad. Hulkus. Oh. Hulkstress. Hulk-ess. Oh, my God. Not Hulk-ess. No, but they already have um, Hulkling. They already yeah, have Hulkling. He's not even really a not Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's not even a Hulk. Hulkisha. She-Hulk got a bad Hulk-isha. rap. Hulkisha. It's effed up. Yeah. Hulkinda. Oh Hul- Hulkisha. Oh no. no. <laughs> Please don't. Just call her Keisha. Never. Keisha. Next question. Next question comes from <laughs> Picture Me Roland. They write, what was the last scary movie that really, really scared you or at least gave you the heebie-jeebies? For me, it was the ending of Drag Me to Hell. It caught me off guard. The whole movie was low-key comedy after that. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, I cried throughout Drag Me to Hell. That's uh, one of my favorite movies. So I, 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 that didn't scare me at all. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I actually read the script to Hereditary, the new joint that's out right now. I've not seen it. The script was pretty scary. It, it's so super dark that I don't know if it would really scare I mean, me because it's kind of like just dark, dark, dark for no reason. After a while, um, it follows got me. It follows bugs me it out. Follows. Yeah, it follows. It, and I've read the script for that too. And the script, it's the same thing. When I finished it. The movie and the script is one of those things where you're just like, ugh. You don't feel good? You know, yeah. You don't you feel just, good, just, Mr. Stark? No, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't feel good. Yeah, because it is, it follows, and it follows ends, you know, it's not super dark. It ends like where you, there's hope, but it just has that like, uh, yeah, that, that could right. be bad. Well, you know, I, that one. M- me, myself, personally, I don't really care for scary movies because I don't get scared by them. Because I, I, especially when it's something fantastical, like I don't. I don't buy into it, so I'm more so sitting there laughing and finding the holes in it. It's when it's movies that try to dwell on, like, more psychological horror, then mm-hmm. that's when you got me. That's when I'm into it because it could potentially happen. So, yeah. But even still, like, I, I'm not really scared by those things. So I, I, I would say I'd rather enjoy psychological horror type stuff. 
And for me, okay. I I don't I haven't really watched mad scary movies like that in a while. But the last the last one that I will say really messed me up. Speaking of buying into it, Blair Witch Project. I thought that shit was real. Mm. I was thinking mm. of that because I actually bought into I it. I thought it was based on a <laughs> oh. true story. I don't know why, but we the way they promoted it, I remember, it felt like it was yeah. a documentary and not Well, that was the point. And like, it was the first time found, well, at least the first time in a wide format that found footage was used as the primary driving way to make people think that it was real. Right. And, and yeah, that, that that's me funny. Out. That's funny because I damn sure didn't. I didn't see it in the theaters, but you know, even when it came out, I knew that what it was all about. So I understood because you know I was already at that age where I was into films and I wanted mm. to know how they were making it. Yeah. So I knew it was like you know whatever, but um, it still steered the living life out of me because it's the very end of that movie oh. that bugs me out. Oh. It's, the end. It's, yeah, oh. Yeah. It's because those are the things that get me. It's like it's the hint of it early in the film where they're like, oh, she'll make you stand in the corner. And then you come around and the camera moves around and that dude is standing in the effing corner. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff that bugs me out. Like, because it's like, oh, you know, it's the little things like the conjuring I thought was immensely scary up until about halfway through it. And then this start stuff starts to happen that me personally, I just found hilarious. So I was rolling. But it's the little things in that movie that got me mm. at first. Did, you know, did, that's the thing. Did either me. of you think the ring was scary? No. I saw the like, rolling when she crawls out of the TV. I'm showing sh- When she's doing that walk. When she's doing that walk. Oh my God. I was, <laughs> there were people laughing. I, I, somebody somebody has to match it. that with This Is America. Oh my God. I can't believe that hasn't been done yet. Oh my gosh. Free, free <laughs> idea for those listening. And it, it yeah. before, before we get off this topic. The first it, oh, that that kind of that oh, kind of messed me up. I've never seen the original. What, Jeff? No. Yeah, Jeff, you don't know about my it story. <laughs> I've told it before on yeah, I've told it before on Fan Bros. But I actually recently saw the original, and even now, as goofy as it is, it still holds up, and it has that really creepy bit that the new one doesn't have. Mm. I have to see yeah. the new one. Yeah, I still like, want to see the, the new one. But the, the new old one's one? just comedy. The no. new one is. Yeah, I mean, I like comedy. it, but it's comedy. Don't. Yeah, I like it, but that it's comedy. old one, and it was, and ABC had the nerve to have it on two nights. Yeah. And no. Is it really that no. bad? Even to this day? No, At no, the it's, time it's, where I it's, saw it's, it, I was a kid. And no, I saw it recently. It still holds up. There's there's stuff in it that the new one doesn't do where do where it has that more creepy horror. Yeah. That dirty a, wasn't an eighties movie. Yeah, I believe that I, dirty eighties yeah. movie yeah. horror. And I think it was yeah, two where everything's because, rusty because they're supposed to be coming yeah. out with another it when they're grown up, right? That's why it was yep. two parts. Yep. Like they, you watched the yeah. first night when they were kids, and then the second night when they were adults, bruh. And it cuts back and forth in between in both of them. So yeah, they and they didn't do that in the new it. So I'm looking forward to Girl, that. One. Listen. Next up. Next up comes from Wit Substance. They write, there's a report saying Iron Fist of Wheatgrass is going to appear, i.e. taint Luke Cage 2 and appear in Iron Fist 2. Netflix has to know the collective opinion is that the actor playing Iron Fist looks and seems weak, more like Porcelain Fist. Iron Fist is clowned throughout Defenders. Why won't they recast this dude? It is painful to watch him act tough when I think my 80-year-old grandma could cook his butt with one hand. I I gotta say I'm 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 honestly I I think this is a we gotta get past this. They're not gonna recast him. All, all the hate watching of it, you know, drove it up the charts. Mm-hmm. He's Iron Fist for the foreseeable future. As I'm one who loves Danny Rand, like that's one of my favorite characters, and I just don't care anymore, y'all. Like it's just not that serious. Like 
I, I'm not sure if he's going to be in Luke Cage. I haven't watched the whole first season. I mean, second season yet. But, you know. I mean, I, I agree I with you. He's absolutely coachella fist. But yeah. that said, it's like, what are you going to do about it? They're not going to change him. I mean, uh, they know the kind of collective opinion, but they also see the numbers. And they're going to go mm-hmm. with what the numbers say. And as Ben Amin mentioned, lots of hate watching drove them number ups. Now, if it was a complete catastrophic failure, then maybe we'd be talking a different story right about now. But it wasn't. Yeah. In fact, it was the complete opposite. So they are not going to see a problem. They, meaning Netflix, Disney, they're not going to see a problem. They don't see a problem with it number wise and they're gonna keep it moving just remember the, and uh, the opposite of hate is is the opposite of love is not hate it's indifference because love and hate have an equal amount of passion and for all of you who yep. really hate it there's a lot of people this is probably more of a split decision than people want to care to admit because for all the uh, the vehement opposition to finn jones there are people who either like his portrayal or they don't care either way so I, yeah, I don't think it's as skewed because, once again, Twitter is not the end-all, be-all of public opinion. And that's something that on social a lot of people have to realize. Yeah, it can drive mm-hmm. stuff. But if the num- you gain insights on analytics from a variety of places, from the views, from the social talk, from the reviews, and you get it in aggregate, and once you understand where you're coming from they've probably made the decision okay there is backlash to this actor but we we're doing enough positive in views and making money and and all those real categories that yeah we can ride this out let's see what happens they they've already shot a bunch of stuff ahead and the way these these shows work you can't just ant viv him you really can't and like that in 2018 so I don't no. I don't know what y'all want, but you know, show it with your views. Yeah, don't watch it if you don't enjoy it. Don't watch it. Don't sit there tweeting about it. Yeah. Don't sit there hating on him and dragging him through Twitter because it's just unnecessary and it's not going to do anything. Because people, like Jeff said, love and hate are the same thing. People will take it, especially corporations will take it the same way, especially when you're hate watching or hate tweeting something because they don't, they're not going to pay attention. They see Iron Fist a hundred thousand times. So they're like, oh shit, you know, yeah. the people talk about it. They're watching it. They did Aunt Viv Rody in reverse. But that but was due was to early. other things. That I was know. due to that, and, uh, that, and that was also due to <laughs> Terrence Howard being Terrence Howard. That was not due. <laughs> new mass. You know, that, ah, yeah, yeah. That was, he, he, but he, it did happen. New, it did happen. He started, but see, he started new math in that money. And that's what happened there. And that's when they were like, bruh. They said two plus two is four. See you later. Hit that common core and went left. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Okay, this is going to be the last one. All right. No one 215 writes, I always hear you guys ask this as part of your rapid fire questions. But I would love to know your answers. What character's death affected you the most? Oh, bruh. Mine's is still Optimus Prime. Only movie to make me cry. Mm. I answered this when I was a guest way back in 2017. Is it going to, is it change? <laughs> but will it change? All that time ago. But will it change? No, no. I think, I think mine is still, it's still solidified. It's, it's Aerith from Final Fantasy VII. Um, mm. I remember I wasn't even playing the game. I was watching my homeboy play and we get to that scene where Sephiroth comes down from the rafters like Stig and jukes her in her fucking midsection. And I saw the life leave Aerith's eyes, bro. <laughs> I was traumatized. And mind you, I'm watching it like TV because back in the day, them PlayStation cutscenes were like 4K to us. 
So I'm yeah. watching. I'm watching, right, right. All these polygons, the polygons were lit, boy. But <laughs> I'm watching, and she thought I was like, "Yo, she didn't deserve it." For wrestling like fans, Sephiroth had nuclear heat with me. I was like, "Yo, how, how, how?" You, you saw my reaction to Bao. That was my reaction <laughs> when Aerith died. I was like, "Oh my god, oh Aerith, Aerith!" That immediately made me. Go cop a PlayStation so I could hand Sephiroth my own personal faith. Like when I beat him, he was that was like personal to me, like in the depths of my fucking sternum and shit. So yeah, yeah, it's it's still Aerith. Still Aerith. Mine is Rue from the Hunger Games. I read the book and I saw the movie, and it got even worse after seeing the movie. In the book, when you read it, like you. Again, young black girl. I In the book, the way she's written, the way I saw her in my mind's eyes, she was a young black girl. So for her to go out, it was just the most peaceful, loving person in that entire series. For them to have to go out really messed me up. And then this is just, just reading it and drawing the lines in my head. So then to actually see it happen again on film, shouts at Manla Stenberg, I was really, really crushed so to say the least so rue from the hunger games i need to watch that series once one of these days yeah i do too for real oh man um i've got so many that i'm trying to think of one Just one sir thanks because i yeah because i mean it's been like you know like when i was a kid it was like guardian and alpha flight and gene gray and x-men mm. those two were like guardian especially because you know everyone i already knew about gene gray but i didn't know about guardian and then even like doug ramsey cypher and new mutants that's probably still my most comic book death because that one is so cold-blooded how it happened, and it was just so like, oh, my God. And I identified so much with Doug Ramsey. So that was the one that got me. Um, I don't know, though. Like, I'm trying to think of something major. And if you've made it by now, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got a few newer ones like Yandu. Yeah. Yandu fucked me up. Yeah, Yandu. Mm-hmm. I was Yandu talking about Yandu the up. other day on Father's Day. Yandu, I mean, Yandu messed me up. Uh, spoiler, you know, Peter Parker in <laughs> Infinity War. <laughs> like, yes, now. yes, Peter. It's, no, it's, like, it's too late now. Y'all late. Y'all mad late. you haven't seen it. But And, and sorry if you, for under circumstances you couldn't. But I'm just letting you know, yo, Why? Yeah, that was crushing, he's a, he's and I and people keep arguing about how you know. Oh, we know there's another Spider-Man movie, etc. It doesn't et matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to me because <sighs> it's more about to me. It's it's about Peter, and it's also about Tony because Tony yep. pledged to keep his kids safe. Yep. He said, "If you die, it's on me. Yep. This isn't Coney Island. This isn't this you is know no, that. It's not a game." And then he dies on him, and Tony has to eat that one, and that's where that one hurts me. And, you know, even more, but like we talked about before, Logan. Logan crushes me. Oh, yeah, me. Like, that messed me up at the end. I turn that movie off now. Like, when it's on cable, you know, right before at the end, I turn it off because I can't deal with that. Mm. that that's, with, her, with, with Laura crying. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it's crushing me. You, you, I see the future where you die with your heart in your hands, and he's holding her hands? Come on. Oh, man. I mean, come on. That's, you know, <sighs> come on. <sighs> the yeah. tears. All right. Well, if you have any other questions, make sure you hit us up at contact at fanbros.com or you can hit us on the Twitter at fanbros show. Fan Bros. Fan Bros. Fan Bros. Fan Bros.